Tori, have you ever talked with, spent much time with anybody who's been like uh, part of a cover story, like they've been on the front of the New York Times? I don't think so. Have you? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, you know, so let's just start off by saying this is being on the front page of the New York Times for all the right reasons. So let's just say that. Yes. But this is a an organization that is not only, I think it's been listed like as one of the most innovative companies in the world more than once. Um, but this is an organization that is getting stuff done in the world in a profound area of need. And that's why the New York Times features a story on them. That's why Apple TV does a documentary that features them. It's a really cool thing that's going on. I'm talking about Josh Young, who is the chief of staff at New Story. It's an organization who has just pioneered new cutting edge solutions to things like homelessness. And we got into an innovation where he's explaining how they're building these homes. Could you even have imagined building a home the way he was describing? No, I didn't know it was possible until we were researching for this interview. So what New Story is doing is they're one of the world's first companies, people who figured out how to 3D print not only just a home, a single home, but a community. And they're primarily targeting communities in Latin America and creating opportunities that that never existed until New Story moved in. So no, I had no idea you could 3D print a house. Well, and, and when I did hear about it, um, I saw this at one point and, and then, you know, Josh and I were talking a while back, but I, I'm not going to lie to you. I started thinking of tiny houses and just going, oh, so we're 3D printing these homes, which by the way, 3D printing is, is just magic to me. I don't know how that works, but I was thinking they would, they were really small homes. And he's telling us these are three bedroom homes. And in some places they're doing two story homes. Yeah, so it's not just a rectangle, which I think is what we would think is like, okay, it's got four walls and some kind of roof of this is a real home. And he even talks about the families that receive these Mm -hmm. homes get to be a part of designing it and they get to figure out what their family's needs are. So they're custom and they look beautiful. Once you guys have to check out what they look like, they don't look like they're made out of cardboard and they're going to blow over or anything. They're substantial homes. Yeah. Yeah. So you take that. And in the middle of this, we, we, we start to hear about how cryptocurrency in El Salvador is helping to deal with people who can't work through a a bank in that country and how they're feeling more and more empowered. And it was really just a, a, to me, a, a fascinating journey, but it began, it began with his own personal story. And when you hear Josh talk about his mom and the way that she has poured into him, and then in the middle of all of this, a story about his dad and, well, I'll just, I don't want to say more about it, but it was like, oh my goodness, this is what it's like to be called to something. And this is what it's like to join up with, with an organization and other people who are trying to get things done in God's world. And I just think this is a great example of what it means to dream bigger and to enter into this story and to 
make a difference in this world that God hasn't given up on. So I, I'd love for us to just stop here and let you drop in on the conversation that we had recently with our friend, Josh Young. Hey, Josh, uh, you and I have talked before about some of what is going on with you in the world and just what you guys are doing. But would you just start off, big question, but just tell us a little bit of your story and and kind of how you got to where you are today. <laughs> wow. That's why I'd, I could take that anywhere. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll be quick, but I grew up single widowed mom raised me and my little brothers uh, in a single bedroom that uh, we never had much, but we always had each other. And that love ended up being enough. And we never had to worry about food or a uh, roof over our heads. My mom actually worked night shifts so that she could pretend that she was a stay at home mom. Uh, never missed a, a game or anything, really. She was always there. And that enabled us to focus on school and sports. And that's what I did growing up. That's all I did. I had blinders on like a horse. I did school and I did sports. Um, we had, were blessed to have the opportunity. My younger brothers, Columbia University and Harvard University, respectively. Um, and it wasn't until post-graduation that I really thought about what I wanted to do in life. Right? I was just focused on getting through. And my, the advice I got from teachers was, you get great grades, you go make money, you work on Wall Street. So um, I've always been someone who wanted to achieve success at the highest level. Um, and so that's what I did. I worked on Wall Street out of college. Uh, then quickly, once sports were gone, I had more time to think about big picture and the impact I wanted to make. I ended up joining a campaign with a mentor, Barry Feingold, um, up in Massachusetts. I left my job and joined his campaign. Um, and then after that was accepted into Harvard grad school. And during that time was also the start of the pandemic. So we were launching into a completely unique period of time unprecedented, really, nothing I've ever seen in my lifetime where the whole world was affected. But within that chaos was a unique opportunity to lead into love. And at that same time, I met the CEO of the organization I work with now, uh, Brett Hagler at New Story Charity. And this is an organization, a nonprofit that pioneers solutions to end global homelessness. And I was so overwhelmed by the mission and their pursuit of excellence at the highest level while also benefiting those most in need. So bringing innovation to people who need it most first when most of the time they're overlooked and innovation rarely reaches them at all, definitely not first. Um, so I was so moved by that right, right. and the combination of pursuing excellence at the highest level with that bleeding heart mentality uh, was very unique. I wanted to be on the front lines. I didn't want to be in grad school at the time. So I ended up declining um, going to Harvard grad school and I joined New Story as their chief of staff. They weren't hiring at the time uh, for a chief of staff, but Brett's best friend was a chief of staff at DocuSign, later became the VP at DocuSign. 
and has been in his ear about get a chief of staff. And he, it was, so it was in the back of his head. If I ever meet someone like I click with, I think can benefit new story. I'll hire him as the chief of staff. So, um, so I called him and he goes, you know, I, I'll regret it if I don't hire you. And I'm like, I'll regret it if I don't work here. So we always joke. We both took a big risk on each other um, in that, in that time and couldn't be more grateful. So, so you, you've opened up a lot of avenues here for me to ask you some questions. So let, let's just go back for a second, because I think I've read, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but when you, when you said no, essentially to Harvard grad school and yes, to this new pursuit, is it fair to say that that was a calling? I mean, you're, you're feeling called to this, right? Absolutely. Affordable housing has always been on my heart because of the way I was raised and the opportunity we had with a mother who worked two jobs and just made it work. We would not have had the opportunity to go to school to focus on sports had we had to get a job or not knowing where we were going to sleep that night. Thankfully, we could focus on sports. We could dream bigger than our basic needs day to day. Um, And that really enabled us to become, me and my little brothers, the people God made us to be. And I believe housing is the foundation, you know, Maslow's hierarchy to become the, to actualize your potential. Yeah. So uh, along with that, though, there's this, there's this innate desire, but then you, you, you come across new story, which you, you've described beautifully. And I want to get into specifically some of what new story is doing, but new story can, can we just say new story is, I think kind of unique as, as nonprofits, um, you know, I think they were one of the first to go through Y Combinator. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And for people who don't know what that is, that's, um, there's a pretty cool pedigree there of, you know, this is where DoorDash and Airbnb and Reddit. I mean, there's some pretty serious brand names out there that that were accelerated through yeah. this process. And then here comes a nonprofit. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll brag on the organization for a minute. I'm so proud of the work we have done to date. Um, like you mentioned, one of the first nonprofits to ever be accepted and graduate Coinbase, Airbnb, DoorDash, Instacart, long list of for-profit companies everybody's heard of, and then New Story, right? The nonprofit that is held to the same exact standards as all of our for-profit peers. And we're in the classroom with them, learning with them, thinking and dreaming just huge, right? It's the premier startup accelerator in the world, Y Combinator is harder to get into than Harvard and uh, like all the Ivy Leagues combined. (laughs) So like it was such an opportunity to be able to learn from these world-class advisors and get the same type of acceleration that a for-profit company had and think that similar way. And that enabled us and really set the, the stamp of our DNA to think innovatively and creatively on arguably the world's largest problem. 1.6 billion people lack adequate shelter in the world, and the uh, UN projects that number to grow to 3 billion by 2030. Our focus has always been to create these solutions that we can then share 
with everybody. And then for-profits, non-profits, government entities can all learn and do similar things. The, the flashiest innovation is uh, the 3D printed home. And, and can we just stop there for a second? Because first of all, you'll have to explain what 3D printing is to us. We've all seen it, but it, it still feels like magic. Okay. And so explain that and then explain how that is, like that's the innovation that you all are leveraging towards homelessness. Yeah, no doubt. How does that work? <laughs> so, uh, it's, I mean, I've seen the videos and it still amazes yeah. me. For anybody who hasn't seen a 3D printer in action, it looks like soft serve ice cream coming out, layers, um, it sets and then layers again. We It creates all the walls in less than 24 hours of printing time for a house. Um, and it's the same way a printer you might find in in your classroom except uh 11 feet high right so it's like ginormous and we were the first investor into this technology so we got to partner with uh icon which is a for-profit company that now is crushing it they got a nasa contract they're building a 3d printed habitat on mars um but this is really part of our dna to prove that this works to take risks. We believe we're in the per- perfect position as a nonprofit with this mission to really test this and at the same time, take the most talented people, the most ambitious companies, and like, direct them to this crisis. Because uh, ultimately, that's what we're going to need to catch up with the problem. We have built over close to 40 now holistic communities um, focused in Latin America, Haiti, Mexico, El Salvador are the main places we build. Um, to date, we have built uh, close to 4,000 homes impacting almost 20,000 people's lives. Each one of those lives now can dream bigger beyond their base. In, in our communities, within two years of receiving home, the average income increases by 63% on average. 63%. 63%. They uh, now have clean water access and electricity and sewage. Most of the time, the first time in these families' lives, have they ever had any of those, let alone all three together? How big are these homes that, on average? They're, they're bigger than the, the home I grew up with. In. So they're two to three bedrooms. Um, and a living space in El Salvador, we actually also make two-story homes. So some of them are two stories. Um, all of them are built in a way where families, once their income does increase, they can build multiple rooms connected to this home. So like build on top of their home. Um, they're designed in a way to enable families to grow in that way. Now, are families seeing this happen or are they high-tech printing process? Do they get to see some of this or how does that work? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the first families of the community we printed moved into their homes. So that was one of the questions we asked ourselves, like, are families really going to want this new home or do they want a traditional home? And they are so excited to have the the new home. And Apple TV Plus did a documentary on this journey of us making the world's first 3D printed home. 
Can we still watch that? I wanted to ask you about that. You absolutely can. So we'll put that in the show notes. What What is the title of the documentary? Home. We can remember that. Yeah. So the, the finale is Mexico and it's focused on news stories where it got released right after I got my offer letter. My mom always says, and it's something we say at News Story, the quote, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. So watching that documentary, seeing these 25-year-olds to 30-year-olds literally change the way housing might be done for generations and do it for families living in absolute poverty was just, it brought tears to my eyes. It was unreal. Um so I encourage you to definitely watch it. Uh, I'll share my Apple TV Plus account with you if you don't have Apple TV Plus. Yeah, and when mom saw that, she began to get a sense of your decision. She did, she did. And now she thanks God every day for me having the boldness to to follow his calling because she's seen the impact I've been able to do with New Story and um, the doors it's open for me to learn and to grow and become the person that God was opening me up to be. God is coming up in in the conversation here. And so there's a there's a faith thread through your story. Uh, to me, Josh, when when I hear you talk about homelessness, it, it seems to me, and I'd I'd love to hear your your explanation of this, but it seems to me the stigma around homelessness sometimes robs often, maybe always, robs someone of the dignity that is inherently theirs mm. as an image bearer of God. I, I'm not trying to get too thick with the theology here. Can you just talk about the stigma of homelessness and, and how your faith is, is informing how you address this? I guess I'll start with my faith. It, you're right. It has always been a driver in my life and intertwined in everything I've done since I was a child. So my dad, uh, when I was younger, he would always say, my boys are going to be warriors for Jesus. Like really proud, like chest out. My boys are going to be warriors for Jesus. So, you know, I grew up with that mentality. And then when he died, I was six years old. When, when someone dies, you only hear the best stuff about him, right? So my dad was a hero to a lot of people and they've expressed that to me. So I was trying to live up to the image that was the greatest person anyone's ever known that I didn't have a chance to know, but I share his blood, right? The way that the homeless crisis has affected internationally, it's an opportunity issue. So in the U.S., there's a ton of complicated issues that go into why people end up on the streets that we see, and um, if, from mental health crisis to drug-induced crisis uh, in, in places like El Salvador and Haiti. It's just an opportunity. There are no houses available to him. There's no path to homeownership financially because 70% of these families are unbanked. Nobody wants to serve them. It ends up with them feeling so much less than. I'm going to share about the community in El Zante. It's been coined Bitcoin Beach. Uh, since the El Salvador accepted Bitcoin, 
they've gotten a lot of attention. A lot of people come down and I was one of the first people to be down there because we've already been building in El Salvador, almost a thousand homes there. Um, so we checked it out and it from there to here, just a year and a half later, night and day from seeing how proud they are to be from El Zante, to be where they are, where if they had met anybody, they'd be embarrassed to say, I'm from El Salvador in general. I'm from El Zante. Just embarrassed, right? And now they're known for something that isn't perceived negatively. And the hope that they can dream of things that you and I have, and it, some families are now actualizing it, it really is changing everything because that mindset change is everything once you believe you can you can um and god made us in his image for a reason and the more people i can enable to see that they were made just as good as everybody else that that's my mission well you 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 looped back around to really one of the first things you were saying it's that it's exciting for these people. They're the like front end recipients of this, this innovation. Exactly. That, that some of us honestly are only seeing on YouTube videos and Apple TV documentaries, and they are real time recipients of this. That's a really empowering thing. And you see how proud they are of it. And they get to be, a part of designing the home they get to be a part of creating their home like actual the the build process and they pay for it so that provides so much dignity and respect we obviously zero percent interest rate but they still pay for their home and they want to they're proud to do it and now they have an asset that they can pass down their to their children and their children can pass down to their children and it can never be taken from them. So many more questions here. So, so let's go back to the, to the house itself. It's such a, a tangible representation of this love that you started off talking about. Um, this is not theory anymore. This is really happening. What do we know about the, I don't know, the, the, the long-term viability of, these 3D printed homes. What what are the what are you guys seeing, thinking, predicting about these? Yeah, so long term, we predict uh, 3D printing to be one of the not the only thing that helps curve the housing crisis, but one of the solutions to it. So you can build homes faster, in theory, cheaper once all the research and development is done and the product is can be produced simply cheaper and at an even higher quality than building traditionally. So that's our mission here to make homes faster, cheaper without reducing quality. And our hope is to actually increase the quality of home building. So, so talk about that though, because <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to get us all on the same page. That soft serve ice cream, it hardens up and it's a very sturdy, product that you're that you're offering people absolutely the first one was to 
displayed at South by Southwest in Texas. That house was built up to U.S. building codes. Actually, the homes that we built went through their first major earthquake, and they had zero fundamental damage. It proves that this is a sustainable solution once it's built. I love the idea of of this generational gift that you're giving. There's a, there's a real long play on this. There's something else that's connected to that. You mentioned it earlier, um, and you used the term unbanked. You said, I think, 70% of El Salvadorans are unbanked. Let's talk about that for a second, what that means, and what you all are doing when it comes to um, addressing that, and maybe even why El Salvador is one of those places where something really unique is happening. Because families are unbanked, and there's a lot of reasons they are unbanked, one of which is they've just been taken advantage of for decades and don't want to participate. The ones who do want to participate, they can't get a affordable loan in any sense. Anything offered to them is predatory. So it's not uncommon for them to see 100% interest rates, which simply it's not affordable or sustainable. We're offering affordable loans. Right now, 0% interest to prove that these families can can pay and something to prove that banks can loan to this ignored asset class families who are working full time families who make a a decent living but still between $250 and $750 a day or a month i mean these are families that are in the economic system and just ignored so we're offering them a path to home ownership and in El Salvador we're doing it via Bitcoin. Because families are unbanked, they can't pay by phone or uh, use their laptop to make a payment. That, no, they have to get on a bus, drive for two hours, wait in the bank line, walk away with no proof of payment because it's all cash and, and pen recorded. Um, then they get on a bus, go two hours back. Often they have to take the day off from work because the banks don't don't operate on weekends. So they lose that income for that day. Um, It's just a really sucky process. So since Bitcoin, all you need is a smartphone. Over 90% of people in El Salvador have smartphones. So they can just download their wallet. They can either are even apps that will take the risk of Bitcoin. So you don't deal with the volatility. You can hold it in USD and then make that transfer on the Lightning Network. And it's zero fees. Families can do it right from the comfort of their their couch, the same way I would pay a bill or automatically even if they want to set it up. So for the first time, they're being treated the way that a first world resident is being treated. So for instance, you know, anyone who's trying to understand cryptocurrency at all, you know, without going down blockchain rabbit holes here too far, although good. Um, what you're saying is that you, this digital wallet and this ability to to experience and, 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 and gain a loan, a mortgage, is literally bypassing the banking system in El Salvador. How much how much do you have to to show someone to say, okay, we're really going to do this. The reason we chose this place, El Zante, um, is because essentially what happened, a donor 
decided he wanted to give a, a significant amount of money to this beach area. And he, his only stipulation was you have to keep it in Bitcoin. So they constructed this economy to be able to use this donation um, and transfer uh, cash back and forth uh, via the Lightning Network. Um, and that was almost two and a half years ago, three years ago, maybe. Um, they paid for surf lessons with it. They paid for uh, mostly teenagers to pick up litter. Um, they were the ones who jumped at the chance, right? The teenagers, the youth were like, sure, I'll get paid in this cryptocurrency I know nothing about. Um, and that once you start doing it, then you learn about it, right? We all know nothing till we try. Then more and more people started to see it and be like, oh, I'll accept Bitcoin at my store. So then they got a lot of attention. An article came out um, and then El Salvador's president saw the opportunity here um, and decided to make Bitcoin legal tender for the country of El Salvador. So they are the first country to make Bitcoin a legal tender. And I think largely due to the part that they abandoned their currency back in the early 2000s when it went to zero. Um, they've been relying on the US dollar. And now with Bitcoin, they don't have to. In El Zande, families have been more or less onboarded and have adopted this currency. So it makes our job a lot easier that way um, to start in this community where there are already local leaders who know a lot about it. We did a pilot project, eight homes. Families have moved in. They haven't missed payments. And, and now we're starting construction on a 250 home to 500 home when it's all said and done project. And everybody will pay on their phone via Bitcoin and the Lightning Network. It's really exciting to be part of this path to home ownership for families who have been ignored by basically financial institutions. How does a family qualify for this incredible opportunity, innovation? How, 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 do, you, how do you qualify? So we partner with a local municipalities, local and nonprofits to help identify families. We have a long list of qualifications. They have to make under a certain income level, of course. And then they also have to have a job and a willingness to pay. Once the opportunity presents itself, they're more than happy to, to pay. Um, and they actually want to pay. Our goal is to house a million people by 2030. By 2030. Wow. So that's 225,000 homes. We use all local labor and all local materials. Um, even with the 3D printed homes, the foundation still requires local labor, the doors, the windows, electricity, the electrical outlets, plumbing, the roof. And we partner with locals to really empower the entire economy. So not only are the beneficiaries of homes getting an upgrade, but we're bringing jobs as well. We, we don't want to be in the situation where helping hurts. Like We have good intentions, but we end up hurting the economy overall. You spoke early on about your dreams and the, being able to dream and how folks now who have homes will have this opportunity to, it's almost there's, there's space in their heart and in their, and in their head to, to dream. 
So let's just let's let's back it up a second and just talk about organizations. So these could be businesses, these could be startups, these could be nonprofits, churches, for profits. There are people listening now who are saying, okay, wait, I want us to be innovative. I want us to take some of these risks. I'm hearing Josh and it's like, it's kind of getting me stirred up. A, what would you say to, to begin thinking and moving towards that? And B, in all honesty, what are some of the risks as you move towards that? I mean, the risks kind of hit you in the face. For most <laughs> people, that's the first thing you think about, like one financial risk, but also making yourself vulnerable, putting yourself out there. Uh, it, it is risky. Most people, when they're making decisions, they ask themselves, what can go wrong here? Uh, and I like to ask myself, what if things turn out better than I even could have imagined? When you're dreaming, when you're thinking big, when you're, you know, <laughs> the little voice in your head is trying to talk you out of jumping off the ledge. What if you fly? You never know what you're capable of doing. The idea of being an innovator, though, and which by definition means you're you're getting there first. You're trying new solutions, new ideas. Like, what are the tough parts of, of going first? Well, the main thing is people call you crazy. They're going <laughs> to uh, try to talk you out of doing something that verges from the norm. Um, so the biggest thing is just confidence in in your idea, confidence in what you're trying to build. Here's an example of, so Coinbase, now the most recognizable name in companies in crypto, back less than a decade ago, they gave a speech at a tech conference. There was one person in the audience and then they had a, a booth. Nobody came to talk to them, right? And this is, this is like 24, 2013 and they just went public uh, last year everybody's crowning them as the most innovative uh, like thinking beyond what anybody else was thinking about and they had to put up with years of nobody caring at all about what they were doing but they had a vision they saw where this could be heading and being first is just tough right you got to you got to prove yourself you got to prove not just yourself but the concept of of what you're building you got to have grit you got to know what your vision is do you find that along the way in that uphill process how important is it to have one two however many five a dozen you know what what i say is you know you need somebody to tell you you're not crazy you know, you're not crazy for caring this much. You're not crazy for this dream. How important is that? And was that? Absolutely integral. Like having even one person, I mean, just from a psychological level, children who are told that their dreams can become reality are, I don't know what the statistics is, but so much more likely to try, right? Or it, and if they're constantly told they can't, they're not going to try. Um, so just having someone believe in you at least gets you to try. There, There's some level of conviction within you that was instilled in you by someone or God that 
empowers you to make bold decisions. And then we always say bold ideas attract bold people. Yeah. I, I just, I couldn't agree more that there is a, there is something that a, a God given, we used the word calling earlier. There's something that is, is tugging at your heart. God created us to do this, to make a difference, but there's got to come a moment in there where I'm not doing this alone. Um, and, and that, that seems to be where, where some of the energy then comes from. And the, that, that's where the creativity often gets sparked. Oh, for sure. And that's the catalyst of, so the way new story was founded, our CEO went on a mission trip to Haiti and was just so moved by what he saw, started new story, named it new story for two reasons, a new story for families who receive the gift of home. And then two, a new story for nonprofits, one that operates with 100% transparency. You know exactly where the money's going to because he was in Haiti and saw like all this misuse of, of resources really is what it was and just said, there's got to be a better way. So that's how New Story was started, but it didn't get off the ground till he met his co-founders. Ali Lafsey and Matthew Marshall, uh, someone who Ali lived in public housing growing up, had a degree in international development, believed in this vision that our CEO had and was willing to leave her job to pursue it. And uh, it, it wasn't until he could convince other like-minded individuals to be a part of this dream he had that they got traction. It might start with one person's dream, but you don't get any catalyst until there are multiple people with the same dream. What a cool, cool story this is. And, and the, the difference that you all are making. And I, I am so grateful for the cutting edge innovation that you all are leveraging in such strategic places and ways. I, I just, Josh, just thanks. And I, I, I'm excited about where all this is going. I can't wait for us to, I know you and I were dreaming uh, last time we talked about how do we create more collaborations and connections with other people that are getting things done in these parts of the world. So I can't wait for that. Let, I want to turn the corner now to just some fun stuff here. We love cheering for people who are getting it done. If you could nominate one person, one organization, you pick it. Who are you nominating for a Way to Go Award? That is that is a good one. Uh, one of our main advisors, uh, Charity Water, I don't know if you've heard of that organization, but they're also a, a nonprofit focused on transparency, and pr their goal is to provide clean drinking water to everybody in the world. And they're doing so in very innovative, creative ways. And the the messaging, we honestly get a lot of our inspiration at New Story from some of the ways that they have done nonprofit. All right. So we're giving that to Charity Water and Scott Harrison and and those guys. Okay. All right. Um, let me let me now just ask you some quick, rapid sorts of questions here. Um, Name one person that has made a lasting impact on your life. It's got to be my mom. My mom raised me and my little brothers with just a whole lot of love. Like love is always the answer is the root of, of that. She 
uh, was always there. And that inspired me to be someone who shows up. What's one thing you're loving these days uh, that the rest of us should check out? I have fallen in love with Maverick City Music. So I listen to everything that they throw out. Um, Something more niche is uh, this newsletter, Web3 Daily. Their tagline is, we write about crypto in a way your mom can understand. (laughs) That is a great tagline. Yeah. So it's just like a a plain English version of what's happening in the world of crypto. Okay. All right. Uh, What's one way, Josh, that you're connecting with God these days? I actually have a daily journal that I was committed to doing at the start of this year. Every single day, I give the first moments of my day with God, it, it has filled me and leads every day I have with more purpose. Okay, that's good. What's one lesson you wish you could have learned sooner? I'd say uh, it's don't be afraid to ask for what you need because often you'll get it. Often uh, people want to be helpful, especially the, if any young people are listening there's a whole lot of people who want to be mentors to you. Um, don't be afraid to ask. That's good. What's one trait you had as a kid growing up that you still have today? <laughs> a silly one is climbing. I oh, I right. used to climb everything. Like parkour stuff, or what are you like, or like solo? What are you What are you doing here? Free solo? Yeah. Now, now I'm I I climb like uh, from legitimate rock climbing to just the side of a a building that I think is cool. I'll still climb trees on a hike. Um, But when I was younger, I used to climb everything to the point where like I would climb up at Home Depot, run away, climb up. And my mom and dad would have to shut down the place because they thought that I might've been kidnapped and I would just be there posed and like that's hilarious so you were just waiting for them to find you waiting for them to find me yeah (laughs) okay okay so now i gotta ask you a follow-up on that one what's the what's the most uh like impressive thing you've climbed that you looked back and went yeah i did that um there's there's some cool mountains that i climbed but I back in high school, I climbed the actual wall of my high school, like three stories and like, like the bricks were sticking out. So it was just so unsanctioned. And, but I got to the and stood on the roof and was like, yeah, I did that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, one last question. What's one way you're moving into this next year with hope? I'd say seeing people just use everything that's happened into catalysts for good. Um, It's such a reminder that with the right attitude, God can use any situation for his good. It might not be what you imagined, but when you're dealt certain scenarios, if you deal with it with the right mindset, with your faith in him, you can turn it into something really good. Yeah. That's that's great. Uh, so just just Josh, one more time. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for what you're doing and what New Story is doing. Thanks for explaining some of this to us. Honestly, this is just going to be a very new um, idea for some folks to just be aware of and appreciate what you're doing. Can't wait to see 
really how God connects our stories some more. But for now, thanks for joining us today. Amen. Thank you so much, Greg. This was a lot of fun, and I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to a Godzillion and One podcast. Subscribe, share this episode with a friend, and head over to gregholder.com for the show notes. And as always, stop and notice this week the shockingly and seemingly endless ways to connect with each other, this world, and the God who made it all. We'll see you next time.